we'd like to welcome you back to part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for April 7th, 2015. And the next, we're going to switch gears majorly here. And this is entitled, DNA Analysis of the Paracas Skulls Proves They Are Not Human. Okay, now here's pictures of five different of these skulls that are in this museum in Peru and have been for years. Okay, these elongated skulls, these are skulls that are not human. Okay, and it's been proven now in DNA testing. These are not human. Okay, uh, these would be considered from a biblical standpoint, Nephilim, or the fallen ones, a byproduct of fallen angelic um, and female human offspring. Okay, that would be what these are. Okay, and I've talked a lot about this in teachings. I'm going to give you the links I've done on this particular subject. And uh, let's just kind of get into this. On the southern coast of Peru lies the desert peninsula of Paracas. The barren landscape is where the Peruvian archaeologist Julio Tello made an astounding discovery in 1928. They've had these for that long. His efforts uncovered a massive and complex graveyard buried underneath Santa Rocks. Now, you have to understand, for some reason, the Smithsonian didn't get their slimy, grimy hands on these because what they have done, Smithsonian... And probably because it's in another country. They have went around the country and around the world in general. And anytime there's giant bones un uncovered or giant skulls or things that don't fit the Darwinian evolution model, they scoop them up and they're never seen again. Because it doesn't fit into that model and it confirms what the Bible says. You could say, well, it was the godly line of Seth that, that bred with the women. Okay, why, if it was a godly line of men breeding with women, did they produce giants that were so wicked and evil that it defiled the whole earth to the point where God had to wipe it out with a flood? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, they were the sons of God, and, and that's why they were godly. And, and you look in the New Testament where it says sons of God, that means born-again, Bible-believing Christians. Yeah, you know what? The New Testament's translated from Greek and Aramaic, and it was a different time. If you compare Scripture with Scripture, okay, in the Old Testament, and I challenge you right now to do this, do a keyword search for sons of God, and only look at the verses in the Old Testament where they use the word sons of God every single time it was in reference to angels, Okay, you go to the book of Job, it's referenced three or four times there. And it's obviously angels they're talking about. So, if we're to compare scripture with scripture, like the Bible admonishes us to do, we will quickly realize that the sons of God mentioned in Genesis 6 are fallen angels. Okay? And, they, and then the Bible talks about elsewhere in the New Testament. That the angels that left their first estate and went after strange flesh. Okay, what does that mean? Well, they went after women. The, the angels were not supposed to procreate with women. He hath reserved in chains under ever, everlasting destruction. Okay? So, I've done teachings on this. I'll give you the links to it. This was not a godly... The thing is, is, is if you believe in the godly line of self thing, how do you explain these skulls? How do you explain all of the giant bones that have been found? Where did they come from then? 
was it the godly line of Seth that just kept rearing its its ugly head, and they had this propensity to 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 uh, interbreed with women, even though they were just godly men, you know, and uh, but they had this genetic quirk, and they kept just kept churning out these wicked giants, these godly men, interbreeding with human women. It makes zero sense whatsoever. It doesn't make any sense, and I have just barely barely tipped the iceberg i've done little studies on this where we go through this and we look at all the verses in the bible that talks about giants there's you know it's just this happened it's still happening what do you think the whole alien agenda is about all these people women that turn up abducted and then pregnant it's a breeding program just like it was in genesis 6 just like it was even after the flood, when they came into the promised land and Satan had prepositioned all of his defiled giant races in the promised land, most likely knowing that that would be the very thing that would probably most likely discourage the Jews from going in and possess the promised land. And you know what? It worked the first time. So God had to raise up a whole other generation for 40 years out in the wilderness, ones that actually had enough faith to go in there and take and possess the land. So Satan has used these giant races to frustrate the will of God, to frustrate um, the will of, of people that have followed God. He, he's been doing it for a long time. So this man found these Paracas skulls. I've got pictures of five of them here. Okay, If you want to see what they look like, it's going to be on page, at the bottom of page 6, it looks like, of the PDF. For April 7, 2015. <laughs> These are not human skulls. And I've seen all kind of crazy skulls. These are just some of them. These are just the elongated ones. And these tombs tell, and, and again, I'm going to get into why these are not human. Because you could hear, oh, well, they were just the ones where they do that head binding at birth. No, 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 these aren't that. Okay, I'm going to prove that. In these tombs, Tello found some of the most controversial remains in history. And again, these have been discovered over and over and over around the world. Giant skulls, elongated bones. I can remember, but you know where you'll find out about this stuff? Like, I can remember when I was researching all of the history of the area that I used to live in, southwest Florida, in Fort Myers. And I would read these books and they'd be like, yeah, on Marco Island we found like this giant, these giant skulls and giant humors and femurs and all of this stuff and but see that's the only time you hear about them the smithsonian gets to these gets to these areas they scoop up the bones or whatever remains there are and they're and they're either destroyed or they they're they're in some underground secret basement of the smithsonian to this day it does not fit the darwinian narrative doesn't fit it we're supposed to be getting better better these these, these big huge like beings that had you know huge craniums and huge brain cavities it doesn't fit into that narrative if we're evolving into something consistently better that's one of the reasons it also confirms what the bible says and they don't want to have anything out there that is going to have any um propensity to increase your faith in the word of god or the lord jesus christ they want to take it all away and that's another big reason they do it you know? I mean, didn't David fight a giant? Goliath? Huh? Didn't he have a whole bunch of brothers? 
One had six fingers and six toes. One was named Ishbabinob. I remember that. Um, and, you know, they weren't human. They were part human, but they weren't human. So, fully human, I should say. The bodies had the, the largest elongated skulls in the world and has since been called the Paraka skulls. Tello found a total of more than 300 of these things and they have been dated at around 3,000 years old, which would also fit the biblical narrative. You know. A recent DNA analysis performed on some of those skulls has preserved, presented amazing results that could challenge the current perspective of the human evolutionary tree. Several other cultures have practiced skull elongation and deformation, but the techniques they use produced very different results. Certain South American tribes... Now again, why would they do this? Because these were their gods. Okay? You got some dude that's 12 feet tall with an elongated skull that has all of these evil demonic powers and acts as your god. You want to be like your god, right? Well, so they start binding their skulls at birth with these ropes so that they can make their own little version of like Mr. Mini elongated skull, human version. I mean, where did they get the where did they get the example to even do that? From these? That's where. And those in those races, the Mayans and the Aztecs and that, they always always ended up where they were doing, you know, building pyramids and doing, you know, human sacrifices, cutting still beating hearts out of their chests and, you know, they did all this to the gods, their gods. How did they build those pyramids? A lot of those ones that are in, you know, Mexico and those those types of areas. Again, how did they build the the pyramids? And you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of um, accounts that have trickled down from their own saying that this was actually done through these giants. That they had actually telepathic powers that they could actually. Um, they could actually move things with their minds. Okay? Not only were they strong physically, much stronger, but they literally had that power of to levitate things through demonic means. Okay? Now, if you had that as your example and that was your God, you're pretty much going to do whatever they tell you from a paganistic standpoint. And what do they always end up doing? Oh, you know what always ends up with human sacrifice and sacrificing babies and stuff like that, just like they kind of do now? You know, wickedness always ends up there, doesn't it? Isn't that funny? Just shows you where the source of all of this is. It's just pure evil. So, certain South American tribes used to bind infant skulls in order to change their shape. Binding the head between the pieces of wood modified the appearance of skulls. Well, that's really, if that's not child abuse, I don't know what is. By applying constant pressure over a long period of time, this type of cranial deformation changed the shape of the skull, but it did not alter the size, weight, or cranial volume. What is the word cranial volume? That means the area inside your, your cranium or your skull where your brain sits. Okay? Didn't alter any of that. These are all standard characteristics of a regular human skull. But the Paraka skulls are different. Their craniums are not only 25% larger and are 60% heavier 
than the regular hum human skulls that led researchers to believe that they couldn't have been modified through binding. They're 60% heavier. The bone is denser. I've seen this on all of these, on all of these um, skulls and, and things like this that they've, that they've analyzed because there's, there's thousands of these things that have still survived. The bone is always of a different trabeculum type. Trabeculum is like the bony matrix of the bone, okay? And the, the trabeculum of the bone is always denser. It's always heavier. Not, so not only is the cranial volume 25% larger, but they're 60% heavier. There's no way this could have been done through binding. They're also structurally different and only have one parietal plate as opposed to two, the two that are normally found in human skulls. You have different plates on your head and they grow together. When you're a baby, they start growing together in what they call ossifying. Ossifying is, is taking cartilage of, of, you ever see it with a little baby? They have head, they have parts on their head that are like soft, okay? They're literal little brains right under there, okay? There's the, 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 the plates of the skull have not ossified yet. And what happens is, is over time, as, as your body starts to lay down calcium, and in the bone matrix of the bone, they start to harden, and they start to ossify, okay? And, and then what they do is they end up growing together. And the cartilage grows away and it's replaced by bone. And they grow together. And where they grow together, there's these things they call sutures. And it's, it's just like a little, it's like a real jagged jigsaw. And all of these different things form the different plates of the skull. Okay? And in, in this particular case, um, the, um, they're finding that the, um, these Paracas skulls, only have one parietal plate, whereas the um, human skulls have two. They're not human, in other words, okay? These differences have deepened the decade-old mystery about the Paraka skulls, and researchers haven't been able to explain their origins. The director of the Paracas History Museum has set samples from five skulls to undergo genetic testing. The samples consisted of hair, skin, teeth, and fragments of skull bones, because they actually had, had this on some of these. The genetic laboratory was not informed about the samples, origins, in order to avoid biased or influenced results. The results were fascinating. The mitochondrial DNA, which is the DNA inherited by the mother, presented mutations unknown to any man, primate, or other animal. They're, they're not human. The Paracas individuals were so biologically different from humans, they wouldn't have been able to interbreed. I am not sure it will even fit into any uh, in, into the known evolutionary tree one geneticist added. They're speculating on the whole they wouldn't be able to interbreed. You wouldn't think that an angel fallen from heaven could interbreed with a woman, but it happened. So that's one I give no merit to whatsoever. Because, okay, where do they come from then? Where, where, what, are, they, are they some alien race that, that has no relation to man at all? I don't, I don't buy into that. I don't buy into the whole ancient alien thing where well, that's a whole other subject. Um, okay, then he goes on to say, now this is, this is written from an unsaved standpoint. This is not a Christian wrote this report. He goes on to say, I'm not sure it will fit into any known evolutionary tree. Well, it's exactly why they want to suppress this stuff. 
That's why the Smithsonian has tried, and, and they were commissioned essentially by Satan, to go and scoop up all these examples that they could ever scoop up and make sure the news is suppressed about this stuff over the years so that this wouldn't get out there and that, and that you would never have um, this to build your faith up in the Bible regarding the giants and regarding these Nephilim-type creatures that the Bible's talked about. This breakthrough, breakthrough brings up more questions than answers, but it counts as another piece of evidence suggesting that we're not alone. No, no, we're not alone. Now, I've done tons of teachings on the subject. So if you're not convinced, or if you haven't heard these teachings, you may want to avail yourself to them. First one is entitled, UFOs, Aliens, Fallen Angels, Nephilim, and the Days of Noah. That was August 19, 2007. I did that one, then I give you the PDF here. I have all the links here on the PDF. And then the next one is Strong Delusion, ETs, Aliens, UFOs, because I believe this is going to be a big part of the basis of the Strong Delusion that, that God talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that he's sending. Okay, I think this is going to be a big part of the backbone for the Strong Delusion, because I don't really think we've seen the Strong Delusion in full effect yet. I don't even think we've even near seen it. Okay, so it's Strong Delusion, ETs, Aliens, UFOs, Nephilim, and the Grenada Treaty. If you don't know about the Grenada Treaty, you might want to click on that one. That's a part one and two. And then another one I've done, which I'm going to talk a little bit more in a second. Subterranean Secrets Revealed, Underground Bases and the Nephilim. All of the underground bases, the first-hand accounts of underground bases in this country. Okay, we're going to talk about that a little bit next. Um... I've done so many reports. Another one, Return of the Nephilim, Hollywood preparing the way. And they are. They have been preparing the way. That one was all the way back in, uh, it's an oldie but a goodie, back in August 6th of 2006. I apologize for the audio back then. I know it's really not good, particularly compared to the ones I have now. Um, but there's just no way I can really record something like that. And um, a lot of the time in those really old teachings, I didn't even, I didn't have a PDF I was putting up either. So it would be almost impossible for me to recreate those. Um, and then another one I've done, which really, really gets into biblical in-depth on these subjects, and it is entitled, Nephilim, Sons of God, Fallen Angels, Demons, Evil Spirits, Tartaros, Sons of Seth, Daughters of Cain, Augustine of Hippo, Thomas Aquinas, John Calvin, Warnings and Bible study. It's all Bible, essentially. And we're going to look at some of the, the, the men throughout history that have started pushing different theories, like the sons of Seth. When did these start? What did the early church believe? Okay? And the early church believed in what I'm teaching you. This other stuff is, is a recent aberration. Okay? Like the sons of Seth. Or daughters of Cain. That one. Or the serpent seed theory. That's a whole other one. If you want to know more about if you believe in that, you can't serpent or seed in, in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com. I mean, that one's pretty easy to debunk anyway. Um, anyway, that's a part one and two teaching. So I, I give you all those. If you're not familiar with that, I would avail yourself to that. Because these are things that I really, truly believe we're going to be facing in the future. And it could very much be so in the near future. I don't believe that Satan has done all of these things about this whole alien agenda and, and so much of what we see um, on either TV or print or movies 
there's been a gigantic conditioning that has taken place going back a long, long time. And you cannot tell me that there's no agenda behind that and that nothing is going to come of any of it. And this whole alien thing will come to nothing and it'll mean nothing. And the, the, the group of people on the planet that are most, the most unprepared to deal with that eventuality, I would have to say by far, are the Christian church in general. Because they're not getting any kind of education from the pulpit on this. Your label, oh, I don't want to be labeled, it's no kook. Some kind of tinfoil hat wearing nut job. Well, we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices lest he get an advantage of us. And this is a definite device of Satan. And I, you know what? I hope nothing co does come to pass regarding it, but I don't, it's not the way I see it playing out. I see Satan devoting way too much effort to this for him to just walk away and not, and how that could figure into this whole ascended master debut and the Antichrist and the false prophet and the signs and lying wonders. I mean, just key in UFO in the keyword search box at, at, at my uh, website. Or aliens. I've done, I mean, I just gave you a couple teachings there. I've done so many teachings on this, and I'm sure there's a ton of redundancy. But I'm always covering something from a different angle, typically. Uh, I don't see the body of Christ prepared for this one. There are certain things that I think the body of Christ would be more prepared for. This one, I don't see it. I don't see it. Because they don't want to be, a lot of times too, maybe the pastors don't want to get into this because they don't want to be labeled. And they don't want to be thrown in with like, oh, the new age tinfoil hat wearing crowds. Or, or the ones that claim that they've been abducted or, or whatever. Well, I'm telling you, there's an agenda there. And I, <laughs> Satan's put a ton, ton of effort into it over the years. And, and I just don't think that it's going to be one of those things that... Nothing comes to pass on any event. It was a big just head fake and nothing comes to pass and we all go our merry way. No, I really believe it is the backbone of the coming strong delusion. I do. So I've done tons of studies. You can reference those. You can look at the ones that I've put up there and, um, you know, hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am on that. Uh, I don't mean to say that because I think I'm proud. I, I just been researching this for a long it's one of the this is one of the things i started researching even as a baby christian you know since like 1994 and so over you know over 20 years now looking at this and just never ever seeing that agenda waver never really ever coming to anything saying oh you know what i'm, I'm just wrong about this i'm there's nothing ever gonna come any of this stuff i'm just being an old fuddy-duddy i'm just being paranoid i, I if anything, the exact opposite's happened. So, um, let's go further. This was on the Q Alerts recently. She said, uh, to Steve Quayle, she said, Hi Steve, I'm a physician. Last fall, uh, I had a very interesting conversation with a patient who was a trucker. Now, I've read these before. This isn't the only trucker um, interview I've read that many, many, many times these accounts have come in increasingly more so lately. Last fall, I had a very interesting conversation with a patient who was a trucker. Now, last fall, you know, uh, last fall, literally, 
because this just came in, you know, uh, a couple days ago. Um, I asked if, so she had a conversation who, who was a patient who was also a trucker. I asked her if she knew anything about the deep underground military bases. And then I played ignorant about what she would say. Without further prompting, she informed me that she is an independent contractor trucker driving 18-wheeler rigs cross-country. She said the bases are real and are located all over the country. These are the underground bases that I've talked about, done whole studies on, tons of first-hand accounts, um, especially under the mountains out west. Now, doesn't it say in the Bible that, that they're going to they're gonna beg for the for the mountains to fall upon them and the rocks to rain down on them because they've hidden themselves in the rocks in the in the end times all the rich and the you know basically the illuminati they think that they've done all of this stuff to get away from god to get away from the from the holy lamb of god and the son of god and it's not going to protect them it's not going to protect them they're going to beg for those very mountains to fall upon them the bible says <laughs> but you know they're doing they're doing exactly what the bible says they were going to do now i'm not i'm not against a subterranean shelter i think that's about as wise as you could get if god led you in that direction okay um i'm talking about what they have done in these underground military bases basically what they want to do is they want to make sure that they're all sealed in to their underground cities that are, I mean, hundreds of miles of highway underneath the ground in what they call um, Magtron or uh, oh, the, 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 their underground shuttle system that can go like Mach 2 or 3 or 4 or something. Um, all of these different interconnected cities and underground bases, what they want to do is when things get really, really bad, which could be shortly, they are going to be the ones that are going to be sealing themselves in these underground bases and essentially depending that the whole world above them is going to be killed off so that that whatever they're planning that will do the dirty work that will depopulate the planet and that they can come back and and rule the planet with a much reduced population they won't have to worry about about you know having all of these billions of people to control and rule over, it'll be a much more manageable thing. Okay, so, sorry, I, I had to take a little break there for a sec. Um, so, continuing on here, I'm just going to read the last sentence. I, I asked her if she knew anything about the deep underground military bases, and then I played ignorant to see what she would say. Um, without further prompting, she informed me She's an independent contractor, trucker, driving 18-wheeler rigs across country. She said the bases are real, are located all over the country, especially in the mountains out west. Um, she said one of her main contracts over the last few years has been with the Department of Homeland Security. Satan. She said there are underground roads running all over the United States connecting the underground facilities. She said that she has personally delivered many truckloads of supplies to these underground facilities. For each DHS shipment or delivery, there was a stack of non-disclosure forms about, about, by her description, six inches thick that she had to sign. So in other words, she should have not been talking about this to this doctor. <laughs> because you're just, you're signing all these non-disclosure forms. The DHS would attach a tracking device to her truck for each of these shipments. 
and monitor her truck's every move. She would be told where to go to accept delivery for each shipment. In each case, she would be escorted by guards with machine guns away from her truck so she could not see what was being loaded into her rig. The truck would then be locked by a large lock with a ring as big around as your finger, which had to be torch cut off at time of delivery. So they probably had to take an acetylene blowtorch. And it was literally, it's, it's not like something you could like, it wasn't a lock like you could open or like something with a key. It was like a ring. <coughs> Excuse me. It was like a ring, a metal ring that had to be tor torch cut off by a torch when you got there. I mean, I've never heard of such a thing. She would make deliveries often within underground facilities. She would again then be escorted away from the trucks by armed guards. The lock would be cut off and the goods, goods would be unloaded. Um, she said the only ship goods she ever saw in the DHS shipments were stackable black plastic things that looked like coffins. So those are the plastic coffins that we've seen so many reports about. So that's comforting, you know. So, um, she said the only ship goods she ever, okay, I already read that. Uh, at the time she, uh, at the time she told me the government is getting ready for a collapse, which she told me she expected might happen as early as the late of 2014. Well, obviously that didn't. Okay. But obviously that's, we're seeing all the signs for that. She also told me she thinks the government has just about everything it needs stored in these underground bunkers. Because the number of DHS shipments has been declining. I reply, I asked her if she would be willing to have lunch with me and tell me more. She replied yes, but afterwards when I contacted her, she had changed her mind and would not talk further about it with me. <clears throat> Another patient of mine, whom I saw within a week of this lady, is a local trucker. But, but he told me that he has lots of friends who are truckers. And through them, he said he has learned that there are thousands of miles of underground roads running across the country can you imagine literally whole other interstate systems under the ground in this country that we don't even know about your taxpayer money at work bringing in over the 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 uh, illegal aliens and, and jet airplanes and building these underground bunkers and facilities with all this black budget money Yep. Thousands of miles of underground roads running across the country connecting underground government facilities. <clears throat> he had just recently, in fact, heard among his trucker friends of a shipment of frozen meat being shipped to one such underground facility, totaling 4 million pounds of meat. Somebody's hungry. You know, somebody's worked up a man-sized appetite. Be strong, keep the faith. That was from Jonathan. Uh, so, yeah. Now, again, I'm reposting again my teaching I've done entitled Subterranean Secrets Revealed, Underground Bases in the Nephilim, Part 1 and 2. Again, the links are here, or you can just research it on the on my site and find those teachings. So that's that's that part. Now, let's shift gears again. This report is entitled, Dinesh D'Souza was right, Obama's forming a global Muslim caliphate. 
So the report starts out by saying, why do you think the Obama administration went after filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza with federal charges, eventually convicting him of a campaign finance felony? Um, D'Souza served eight months in a community confinement center, received five years probation, and paid a $30,000 fine, all for giving some money to a friend to donate to a candidate. So, I mean, these slimy devils do stuff, you know, a thousand times worse than this every day, and nothing happens to them, but um, this guy had to be punished. Going forward, it says, somehow I think there are plenty of people federal prosecutors that have not gone after so aggressively for a similar offense. Yeah, and that's that's an understatement. Uh, the reason the federal government went after D'Souza was so forcefully was that Dinesh, in his first movie, 2016 Obama's America, that it hit the nail right on the head regarding our, our dear leader's agenda. Obama could not let this continue. He had to attempt to silence Dinesh and buy more time to complete his goal. What is his goal? The creation of a global Islamic caliphate. That's what Obama's goal is. Okay, He is a Muslim. He was raised a Muslim. His handlers have told him, this is what we want to do. And that is exactly what he is attempting to accomplish with every single one of his wicked, fork-tongued, deceitful actions. The evidence is just too overwhelming. There's no other conclusion any intelligent thinking man can come to. I couldn't agree more. The New York Post reports today that Obama could not even acknowledge the concept of Muslim terrorists at extremists at the extremist convention the administration threw together to act like they were doing something against Islamic jihadist threats. No, he's for them. He's on their team. He's rooting for them. Pom-poms in hand. You know, he's not against them. He's with them. this is a report out of Washington, it said they're burning and beheading victims in the name of Islam as President Obama delivered a major speech Wednesday on combating violent extremism while refusing to even use the words Muslim terrorists. You know. Now, this is an audio clip of Dinesh D'Souza analyzes predictions from the 2016 Obama's America in late, I guess this was done in late 2013, Okay, so this is the audio from Dinesh D'Souza, and it's entitled Analyzes Predictions from 2016, Obama's America. And I guess he did this in 2013. In the film 2016, I advanced what seemed to be a kind of outlandish theory about Obama, that Obama had imbibed the anti-colonial philosophy of his dad, Barack Obama Sr., this anti-colonialism shapes Obama's worldview and helps us to predict what Obama's going to do. It not only explains what he is doing, but it allows us to foretell and anticipate things that he's going to do. In the film, we made some fairly specific predictions about Obama, and this is not a bad time to review those predictions and see if they have in fact come true. So one of the predictions is that Obama would spend money promiscuously. So that's that's kind of a self-check of somebody that that is a, I mean, I know the false, you know, a true prophet versus a false prophet, a a true prediction versus a false prediction. He's looking at what what he said in the movie, and let's see if this stuff has actually come true. 
conspicuously to raise the debt in virtual indifference to the impact of the debt on American citizens. In fact, Obama has been racking up the debt at the rate of $1 trillion a year. The debt has doubled in Obama's term in office. So Bush was a big spender. But even in his most profligate days, Bush was spending $500 billion. Or Obama has doubled that on an annual basis. The country is now almost $17 trillion in debt. That's bigger than our gross domestic product. And that's an awful burden uh, to saddle our children and grandchildren. It's also a burden that drags the economy down and redistributes wealth away from America to the rest of the world. Why? Because in the past, much of our debt was owed to other Americans. But now, a significant portion of our debt, about a third, is owed to foreigners. Our debt is owed to Kuwaitis and Saudis uh, and Chinese. And so when we incur debt and have to pay it back, and at some point you have to pay, this is a transfer of hundreds of billions, in fact trillions of dollars, out of the United States and to other countries. My theory about Obama was that he wanted and wants global redistribution, and debt is a weapon of global redistribution. My second prediction is that Obama wants to shrink the influence of American foreign policy. This is not the unintentional effect of a blundering president. If you want that, you have to go to Jimmy Carter. When Jimmy Carter pulled the Persian rug out from the Shah of Iran, oops, he got Khomeini. He didn't know he was going to get somebody who would be congenitally hostile to American foreign policy, so he was surprised. But when Obama supports the Muslim Brotherhood, he knows that this is the oldest and most powerful organization of radical Islam in the world. He knows that the Muslim Brotherhood is trying to consolidate its power, not only in Egypt, but throughout the Middle East. And yet, when the Muslim Brotherhood comes to power, Obama doesn't seem perturbed. In fact, he seems kind of excited. When the military pushes out the Muslim Brotherhood, Obama seems flummoxed. He doesn't really know what to do. Suddenly, you've got guys who used to be allies with the United States, the Egyptian military. And what does Obama do? He cuts uh, American aid to the military uh, to antagonize those guys. It's almost like he's looking to take Egypt, which is a longtime ally, and make it into an enemy. Now, you might say, wait a minute, Obama's, you know, he couldn't help it. Uh, there, were, there was Tahrir Square, there were the students in the streets. America believes in democracy. Surely Obama has no choice but to support democracy in Egypt. But wait a minute. In 2009, there were massive pro-democracy demonstrations in Iran. Uh, did Obama back the democracy movement? No, he opposed it. He, in fact, said, let's stay out. He said, let's leave things to, and I quote him, the supreme leader. The Iranian mullahs, they bring out the police, they beat up the protesters, and that's the end of the democracy movement in Iran. So there's a real double standard uh, in Obama's treatment of Iran, where he opposed the democracy movement, and Egypt, where he supported it. Now, when an intelligent man does something that's contradictory, it's not because he's a fool. It's because he's up to something else. The difference between Iran and Egypt 
is that Iran is an adversary of the United States. And Obama seems to have no interest in weakening our adversaries, while he does seem to have an interest in weakening our allies. This double standard can be seen also in the way that Obama has treated Libya on the one hand and Syria on the other. So when there was an uprising in Benghazi uh, under Gaddafi, Obama moves into action. He says there's genocide going on in Libya. We've got to stop it. We've got to use U.S. airplanes. We need NATO. We essentially need to bomb Gaddafi uh, into oblivion. We've got to get rid of the regime. And we did, using a massive display of military force. Now, how many people were killed in Libya by Gaddafi in this action that Obama calls genocide? It turns out approximately 250. Meanwhile, in Syria, over the past two years, there has been going on a real genocide in which there's a civil uprising against Assad, the dictator. Assad has been using chemical weapons and brutal force in the face of the world watching. And there have been people screaming for intervention. Obama has flatly refused. Not just tens of thousands, but hundreds of thousands of people have been killed in Syria. No intervention. Now, finally, Obama says, well, all right, we're, we're going to work to stop chemical weapons in Syria. And even though we're stopping the chemical weapons, we're doing nothing to remove Assad from power. So the question then becomes again, why the double standard? Why intervene in Libya to stop, you may say, mini-genocide, while not intervening to stop big genocide in Syria? Well, there's a simple answer to that. Gaddafi, the former dictator of Libya, was doing business with the United States. I wouldn't say Gaddafi was an ally, he was actually a bad boy in the 70s and 80s. But after the invasion of Iraq, Gaddafi shaped up. He was outing terrorists, he helped to out the Pakistani AQ Khan, uh, he was paying reparations to, to the families uh, who were victims of terrorism, he paid reparations to the victims of the Lockerbie bombing. Gaddafi was behaving himself we got rid of him. Meanwhile, Assad is our deadly enemy. In fact, Assad... And again, I, I went over this many times, that we want to have the most radicalized versions, Islamically radicalized versions of leaders in these respective countries in the Middle East for when they finally decide to all turn against Israel. Well, they'll have the most radicalized versions of leaders, ones we've hand-selected, essentially, uh, Obama and his handlers have hand-selected in order to ensure that they will obey the orders given when the time comes to totally go against Israel and to try to totally annihilate it and wipe it off the map. That's why. And they've, they've done this in country after country after country in the Middle East. It is allied with the mullahs of Iran. Assad and Iran have been working together to undermine U.S. influence in the region. So if you were trying to find a consistent way to predict what Obama's doing in the Middle East, it's very simple. He's been undermining our allies, and he's been allowing our adversaries to remain in power. This is precisely what we predicted that he would do, and this is precisely what he is doing. But he's, he's went beyond that. And, and again, we, we've documented this in recent teachings where he's literally arming ISIS, he's literally training ISIS, he's literally, you know, doing everything he can do to make sure that they don't get annihilated and wiped out. 
and it's over and over and over again. We're seeing these firsthand accounts coming from ISIS, from other eyewitnesses that we've given you tons and tons of reports and links to, and he's just getting away with it, you know. So the, the man is just pure evil, and, and he is of his father the devil, and of his lust and of his works he will do. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's of his father, and, and that's what his agenda is all about. So <clears throat> the goal of this administration is to so weaken American power that the United States cannot stop the formation of the caliphate from North Africa to Pakistan. Even more frightening is that Obama is attempting to radically change the population of the United States through the illegal immigration so eventually a Muslim USA will join his new kingdom. <clears throat> I have written again and again about the Obama administration's agenda to allow Iran to obtain nuclear weapons to destroy Israel and bring the entire Levant into the caliphate. Nuclear Israeli nuclear weapons stand in the way of this goal. A nuclear Iran will try to destroy the Jewish state. Try. It's not going to happen. Now, granted, I know that there's a lot of theories and, and a lot of other things out there saying, ah, oh, Iran's had nukes forever. They may have. But I'm talking about openly possessing them where it's like even the news is reporting it. Where if they did launch a nuke, it wouldn't be like some big like, oh, I can't believe they did that. No, because they everyone would know they openly had nukes, even if they have them now. If they launch them now, and supposedly they don't have them, that's going to look really weird. But if they openly are saying, you know, hey, listen, USA gave us the green light, we, we built nuclear weapons, we did this, we did that, and now we're going to annihilate Israel. Well, okay, people would be able to understand that a lot better. So, um, there's a Bible verse... And it says, Psalm 83, verse 3 through 5, it says, They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. Now, I understand Israel right now is a nation primarily against God, as it has been since they said, Crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas, let Jesus' blood be upon us and our children. Okay? When they said that to, to Pilate. And, but it doesn't mean that they're not in the end going to be saved one third will be saved and the bible talks about in zechariah that they will be pulled through the fire as um silver is tried and a third of them will actually be saved and they will have their eyes open and they will look upon the one whom they pierced jesus christ as and they will mourn for him as one that mourns for their only begotten son they're going to finally get it it's going to come near the end of the tribulation okay it's going to come through tribulation where they're actually going to get their eyes open. Israel, one-third of them collectively will. And then all of Israel will be saved, as the Bible says in the New Testament. And if you don't believe that, read Romans 11. And what do you do with Romans 11? You know, I mean, that's pretty tough to get around that one. I mean, I know you could say, okay, they're not, they're not God's people anymore. Okay, from the standpoint of collectively right now, I understand Israel is not is there against God. But again, you have to look at where where are they going to end up, though. And the Bible even says in Romans 11, verse 1, I say then, have God cast away his people? Okay, now I understand that if we are a born-again, saved Christian, we are, the Bible says that we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay, but this verse, this chapter, is talking about the literal, physical seed line of Israel. Okay, and it says, God cast away his people. 
Okay, granted, I understand. Right now, collectively, they don't look so much like his people. But look at where it's going to end up. The film is being developed. Look at where the one-third remnant is going to end up near the end of the tribulation. They're going to end up saved. Okay? So I say that I've got to cast away his people. God forbid, for I am also an Israelite. And they're talking about the physical seed bloodline of Israel here. The seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession of God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and am left alone, and they seek my life. And again, this is, this is an example of when, when Israel was absolutely 100% like they are today, totally against God's will. Okay? And he's even bringing that up. And then it said, but what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. He always preserves a remnant. And in this particular case, it's going to be a one-third remnant, according to Zechariah, end of the tribulation, that will be tried as silver, tried in the furnace of earth, basically. And when you're tried, you're purified. Okay? Even so, at this present time, there's also a remnant according to the election of grace. So there's one-third of Israel that will be saved. Okay, so, and again, this, this whole chapter deals, in fact, the chapters around Romans 11 deal heavily with this subject. Okay, so, you know, I just don't see any way around these verses. Um, but Psalm 83, verse 3 and 5 says, They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. And they said, Come, let us cut let us cut them off from being a nation. Isn't that the goal of all of Islam? To cut Israel off from being a nation? Isn't that what the Quran commands and all of their unholy devil writings? See, Satan knows that if he can destroy Israel, then the Bible, all the, there's Bible verses in Daniel and in Revelation and elsewhere that can't be fulfilled. If Israel's destroyed from being a nation. So it's a very near and dear thing to Satan's cold black heart that Israel be wiped off the map so that biblical scripture cannot be fulfilled and that he can defy God. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Try as he may. Try as Islam may. They're not going to wipe Israel off the map. I'm not going to say they're not going to suffer. <laughs> I don't know who's going to suffer worse, America or Israel. I don't know. America might suffer way worse. I don't know. Because at least they're going to have a third of the people get saved in the end. I don't think there's a third of America that's going to get saved. Personally. I, mean, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think that's the case. They have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance right there shows you this has been an age-old plan to cut them off from being a nation that the name of israel may be no more in remembrance for they have consulted together with one consent and they are confederate against thee 
And Obama is the absolute total poster child for this verse. Consulting together with other countries and confederate against Israel. To cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel will be no more in remembrance. When all of these devil Muslims put up all these maps about Palestine, they'll just remove Israel off the map. That's what their goal is. Total eradication, annihilation. Yasser Arafat said our goal is to drive every, every Israelite into the sea. That's the only solution. All this land for peace is total lies and garbage. All they do is move the rockets in closer every time they do it. Does that mean I think Israel's perfect? No, it doesn't. But I try to have biblical balance and look at the big picture. Where is Israel going to end up down the road? I did a whole teaching, just key in affliction in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com and um, the biblical reason for Israel's affliction. I had a guy the other day email me. He says, you know, it's really, really disturbing to me how you only point out the Muslim stuff and you've never said anything against Israel at all. And I'm like, what planet are you living on? He says, are you never exposed Talmudic Judaism? I'm like, I haven't exposed Talmudic Judaism? Okay, key in the word Talmud in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com and tell me I haven't exposed Talmudic Judaism. I have. I've exposed Christian Zionism too. John Hagee's brand of Christianity, which believes in this dual covenant garbage, bloodline theory, ethnic salvation, where he believes that we don't even, we're not supposed to witness to anybody Jewish because they're saved by the blood that runs through their veins. Dual covenant theology. He believes that. So he teaches. He's a devil. He's denied Jesus as the Messiah. He's denied that openly. I've done all teachings. Just Keen Hagee in the keyword search box. All this Christian Zionism, Hebrew roots garbage designed to bring us back into law, key in Hebrew. I've exposed all of that. In fact, I just haven't done a lot of it lately because I did so many teachings on those subjects literally years ago. I, I covered all the bases, basically. Obviously, the far greater thing that's been in our face as of late has been Islam. And not to mention all the other breaking current events. But I've always tried to, to, to maintain biblical balance regarding, well, hopefully, every aspect of this ministry. So, let's go forward. Um, why Obama wants to destroy America. The Jerusalem Post today reports that the State Department is mocking Israel and openly admits they are not including Israel in the negotiations that involve her very survival. They want her destroyed. And Obama being the chief of the ones that want her destroyed. Obviously... And this is, the, this is from the Jerusalem Post. Obviously, we work to protect sensitive information in the negotiations. State Department spokeswoman Jen Pasaki continued, asking pointedly whether the U.S. is withholding information from inside the talks from the Israel. And I'm, I'm assuming this is the Iranian nuclear negotiations we just went through. So there, she was asked point blank, are they hiding information from Israel regarding what's going on inside the talks? about Iran getting a nuclear weapon. She said that is correct. We are withholding um, information. Washington's acknowledgement of a gap in its briefings to Israel highlights growing space between the allies on the emergent agreement with Iran, aggressively sought by the U.S. President Barack Obama and opposed but with equal vigor by Netanyahu. I'm not saying also there's not wicked, evil, uh, Kabbalistic Jewish Zionists that are, that are at the head of the, of the Illuminati 13 families. Okay? I acknowledge them as well. 
I'm not saying they don't exist either. Um, going further, Iran going nuclear, ISIS conquering the Middle East and threatening to invade Europe, terrorists actively being courted to enter the United States, Christians being slaughtered, Obama refusing to other words Islamic terrorists, jihad being carried out in Paris and other European capitals, etc., etc. All this point to Obama forming a global Islamic kingdom. The question is, when he leaves office, is Obama looking to become the sultan of his own new empire? That's a that's an interesting question. I don't know. He, he may be. Um, I'm going to go ahead and end there because I had to split this teaching up. Um, I had to stop it at one point because I messed up on that Dinesh D'Souza video. So um, I'm going to stop it here and we are going to go to part three next. So God bless you and see you in part three.